Good evening, everyone. Good evening, everyone. There we go. It does work. It's good to see y'all here tonight here at Grace Church. And for everyone that's with us on campus tonight, I can tell you that it's a pleasure to see all of you. And for those of you that are joining us via live stream and Facebook Live, we want you to know how much we appreciate you listening in tonight. Just want to make uh, one quick announcement before we get into our Bible study this evening, and hopefully you remember that our 21 days of sacrifice is uh, still continuing, and we will be doing that until Sunday the 29th, so we appreciate you joining in with us on that and setting something aside and uh, spending some time in prayer and uh, with the Word and in reflection in addition, so uh, God bless you so much for that, and thank you. It always pays dividends whenever we set some things aside and, and kind of refocus and retune our hearts to what God is saying and doing. So thank you for that. Before I launch into our Bible study this evening, I do um, want to give credit to the giants on whose shoulders I stand without their knowledge or consent. But I do want to, uh, to let you know that there are some names of some people uh, who provided source material, um, Tim Chester, Ryan Allman, Jensen Franklin, Craig Rochelle, Terry Shock, and Tony Robbins. Now, you may not know who some of those people are. Then again, maybe you do know who some of them are. And uh, it might be that you don't care for some of those people for one reason or another. Uh, you may not agree with their theology, or you might not agree with their lifestyle. There's a couple of people on that list that I hope you don't have a problem with, but you know what, that doesn't necessarily mean that their insights into our topic tonight are invalid. Um, you know, it was a little while back that I realized that I cannot personally experience everything that I need to know in this life on my own. Um, nor do I have the luxury or the time to hear it all delivered by my favorite person or my favorite speaker. So whenever I see the value in others' experiences, well, that's called wisdom. And uh, I hope that the source material tonight won't be an issue because what I'm attempting to teach and deliver tonight is so vital to living a life that is joyful, that is faithful, that is purposeful, not just making you a better Christian. And that's important. We want that. We want to be better Christians, but also just to making you a better person. And I want to dig into some scripture tonight and look at what the Bible has to say about managing change. Say that with me, managing change. Now, I know that that is probably the most blah title ever. Uh, in full transparency, titles matter to me a lot. I spend a lot of time uh, probably overthinking titles. And y'all, I just struggled with this one. I really did. Um, you know, there's two ends of the spectrum with this. It could have been... 
six scriptural strategies for successfully something something change and making them all you know kind of sound the same and but that's that's not it's just not me so then I went to the other end of the spectrum and thought about well maybe we could call it change like a chump or change like a champ but that just seems a little disrespectful and doesn't give the the subject the weight that I feel like it deserves uh, because change is hard and um, it can it can often be difficult so forgive the blah title of managing change if if you need to call it something else while you're taking notes tonight uh, do that feel free to do so but that's uh, that's the best that I could do so let's talk about managing change we're gonna launch tonight by uh, looking at one passage of Scripture from Isaiah chapter 54 and it's found in verse 2 now a little bit of context this is God speaking to his people through the prophet Isaiah and he's telling them about the future glory that is coming to them and God tells them that you need to get ready for what's coming now listen to the language here Isaiah 54 verse 2 God said enlarge the place of thy tent everybody say enlarge enlarge the place of thy tent and let them stretch forth the curtains of thy habitations everybody say stretch now watch this spare not spare not there you go lengthen spare not lengthen thy cords and strengthen thy stakes now look at the language of work and effort and change that's being presented here in this one verse enlarge stretch spare not lengthen and strengthen God is telling them look your future is going to be better but it's also going to be bigger and you need to get ready for it this better bigger future that I'm telling you is coming your way you need to prepare so you need to change now to be prepared for what I want to give you later. But if you're going to have the capacity to be able to handle what is coming your way, the change can't wait until then. The change has to happen now. You need to enlarge, you need to strengthen, you need to lengthen, and you need to stretch now for what's coming later. You know, change happens with us or without us your body is changing right now whether you like it or not whether you want it to or not it is changing you know you can sit on the couch and do nothing but suck down Doritos and Oreos and your body's changing you can train for a marathon and not eat nothing good for six months and your body's changing your body replaces 330 billion cells every day. That's 3.8 million cells per second that your body is replacing. Your body is changing right now. The world is changing right now. Whether you like it or not, whether you want it to or not, the world is changing right now. In the last minute, now these are actually some old figures 
uh, from 2016. They were the most recent ones that I could find. But in 2016, every minute, over 400 hours of new video was uploaded to YouTube. 400 hours per minute. Over the last minute, over 500,000 tweets have been tweeted. And over 3 million posts were made on Facebook. That's not the little, the little like. That's, that's 3 million individual posts in the last minute. In the last second, Google handled over 40,000 search queries. And this one is really going to make you feel good. In the last second, the U.S. national debt grew another $45.49. Do that math. Change is happening. Right now, on the world stage, in our bodies, change, y'all, is just a de facto part of living. And the reality is that change comes. Whether you want it to or not, change happens whether you like it or not. Thus, it is in our own best interest to be out front dictating the terms of change as much as we can. It is in our best interest to manage change. Not react to it, but manage it as much as we can to be proactive and manage change, to embrace change. It's going to happen. It's happening right now. But as much as we can to embrace it and make it work for us as much as possible. Now, look, I know that um, sometimes change is thrust upon us. Life happens. It happens to every single one of us. You get the text that you didn't want. You get the phone call that you never expected. You get the diagnosis from the doctor. You get the, the phone call from the boss and lose the job. Those, those things happen. There's no doubt about that. They definitely happen. Sometimes change comes to us in a way that we could not have possibly anticipated or prepared for. But that's not always the case. We're not always the victims to change. Most of the time, we have some input. Most of the time, we have some opportunity. Most of the time, we have some type of control whenever it comes to change. We have more power to manage change than we often care to admit. Jack Welch, the former CEO of General Electric, said, change before you have to. I like that. I like the way Pastor Rob Kitterling put it a little bit better. He said, you can either change before you have to or because you have to. So to me, it seems that a wise, forward-thinking, prepared child of God would not only acknowledge that change must happen and is going to happen, but that wise, prepared child of God will align himself or herself with scriptural strategies for managing the change that you know is going to come. That just that sounds like being a good steward to me. So let me tell you where we're headed tonight. I want to, uh, for those of you taking notes, you know Jesus likes it when you take notes. Nobody laughed. But let me tell you where we're headed tonight. The first thing I want to do is to show you how King David dealt with 
two big challenges of change. And then I want to take you back to Genesis 32 and look at Jacob's experience and how the four C's of change happened and how they are revealed in some of his stories. So let's dive into this two big challenge of change, challenges of change from King David. In 2 Samuel chapter 6, verses 1 through 14, the story is told of King David attempting to bring the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. For 20 years, it had been in the home of Abinadab. The, under Saul's leadership, the Philistines had taken the Ark. Uh, they put it in the house of their god, Dagon. Things didn't go well, and the Philistines got rid of it. And it came to rest in the house of Abinadab, and it sat there for 20 years. David wants to bring the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem, back to their center of worship. That's a good thing. So David had them put the Ark of the Covenant on a new cart overseen by two sons of Abinadab named Ahio and Yusa. So with the Ark on the cart pulled by oxen, they set out for Jerusalem. There was a lot of fanfare. There was a, a lot of celebration. There was a lot of music, a lot of important people there. But somewhere near nation's, nation's threshing floor, the oxen that were pulling the cart stumbled. And Yuza reached out and put his hand on the ark to steady it. And the scripture says that God smote Yuza there and killed him for his error. And that event, the scripture says, left David displeased. Actually says he was displeased with the Lord. And it even says that he was afraid. David was afraid of the Lord. See, what David was trying to do wasn't working. We're talking about managing change. The goal wasn't getting accomplished, and people were getting hurt. Now, David's mission was good. What he set out to do, his goal was worthwhile. But wasn't anything wrong with the goal. There wasn't anything wrong with the mission. But his approach wasn't working. So David did a pretty smart thing. He left the ark sitting in Obed-Edom's house for three months. It's a lot of wisdom here. This isn't working. Things aren't going the way we thought they should. Let's take a time out. Put the ark somewhere. And after three months, David tried again. But this time with a different method. Goal stayed the same. Mission stayed the same. Method changed. Same goal, only this time the ark was born on the shoulders of priests as instructed by Moses. And the story ends with the ark being brought into Jerusalem properly and with respect and reverence according to the scriptures. Not only did David set out and accomplish what he set out to do, but it, in the end it was done with much joy. Now I want to focus in on a couple of David's approaches in this story because they give us the beginnings of insight into dealing with Two of the biggest challenges of change. And here's the first one. For those of you taking notes, the first big challenge of change is having the heart to admit change is necessary. Having the heart to admit change is necessary. David had the goal of bringing back something that was lost. He's attempting to bring the ark of God, the ark of God, back to Jerusalem. 
The ark was the focal point of their worship at that time. The ark was where God's presence resided. This is a noble cause. Yes, this is, this is a good thing that David is doing. But while David's intentions were good, success and failure depended heavily on his willingness to change. See, David's first attempt at restoring the ark involved him placing it on a new cart and pulling it with oxen. Now, that seems like a pretty efficient way of getting the job done at first glance until the stumble at the threshing floor and the fallout that resulted because of it. Now, the stumble, I want you all to understand what I'm saying here. The stumble and what happened to Yuza, that was not a good thing. That's a bad thing. Yuza died. But the stumble did cause David to do something that I hope all of us here tonight can learn from. The stumble made David consider what needed to change. I'll talk more about this point in a few minutes whenever we get to the four C's of change and talk about crisis. But I want to emphasize it here. The first big challenge of change is having the heart to admit that change is necessary. We got to do something different. This isn't working. The stumble made David stop what he was doing and evaluate what needed to change. It was painful. It delayed the mission, but it was necessary. Having the heart to admit something needed to change, well, then that brought David to the second big challenge of change, and that's knowing when and how to change. Well, Jason, that's two. Well, not tonight. I've got the microphone. It's just one. Knowing when and how to change. You know, David had to take time to prepare for the change. The ark sat at the house of Obed-Edom for three months, and while it was there, apparently David did some searching and some evaluation. We'll put it in business terms. He, he, he identified barriers to success. He did a, a needs assessment. He did this, he did, David did his homework. He got some wise counsel, and his efforts paid off because in the middle of that, David realized some things. First of all, he realized he had the wrong tools. He put the ark on a cart when it was designed to be carried on the shoulders of men. He didn't need a cart. He didn't need oxen. He needed a couple of long poles and some priests. He had the wrong tools. The second thing he realized is that he had the wrong people. You know, David had Yusa up front. And I'm not saying that Yusa was a bad person. And I don't even think that we can say he was evil based on the text. He was just the wrong guy for the job. He had the wrong skill set. He had the wrong mindset. He had the wrong attitudes. You don't want Jason Cooper teaching physics or calculus. I'm the wrong guy for the job. I don't have the right skill set. Now, you put me in an English classroom with Shakespeare or some pieces of American literature, I will wear you out. But I don't have the skill set for math or physics. Yusa, not, not evil, not a terrible person, wrong skill set. He shouldn't have been there. Whatever the case, David was the guy in charge. And he put Yuza in that place. I want y'all to consider with me just for a second. Consider how much differently this story would have gone had David put a priest in Yuza's place. 
once David got the, got the tools right, and once David got the people right, he was successful. His mission stayed the same, but his methods had to change. There's a lot of wisdom displayed by King David in this passage. Was he perfect? A perfect leader? No. Did he get it right the first time? No. Did he, did he get upset and go through some painful experiences before he accomplished his goal? You bet he did. But in the end, David was successful because he had the heart to admit something's got to change. And then he took the time, did the homework, and planned when and how to make the changes to the tools he was using and the people that were involved. Is this too practical? Must be. Okay, thank you for that. You know, listen, a lot of our... And, Whenever we talk about change, we, we can talk about changing an organization and leading an organization toward change. We can talk about leading your family. You might be thinking about changes that need to take place in a relationship. It might be a, a, a physical change that you need to make for fitness reasons or financial changes. Whatever the case, a lot of our efforts at change fail because we miss the heart piece and we miss the headpiece. The heartpiece is saying something's got to change. The headpiece is being strategic about how we do it. Did y'all realize that all of that was going on in 2 Samuel chapter 6? Me either. That's, that's kind of why I need to read stuff. I want to transition here and shift over to Genesis 32 and talk about Jacob. And look at some examples from his story that show us how change happens. How change happens. There's a part of Jacob's story and looking at how change happened in his life that can give us some insight into how change happens in our own lives. And I've, I've just got to say that if God's doing something in my life, I want to cooperate with it. I don't want to fight against it. You know, whenever Paul encountered God on the road to Damascus in the book of Acts chapter 26, he said, I heard a voice speaking to me, and it spoke to me in the Hebrew tongue and said, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Another translation said it this way. I heard a voice speaking to me in Hebrew saying, Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? You are only hurting yourself. I don't want to be that guy. And you shouldn't want to be that guy or gal either. If God is trying to do something in our lives, it's for our benefit, not for his. It's for our benefit. So let's go back to the, the beginning in our text from Isaiah. God told them, you need to enlarge, you need to stretch, you need to spare not, you need to strengthen, and you need to lengthen. You need to get ready and prepare for the change that is going to be better than what you have right now. It, was, it wasn't for God's benefit. It was for their benefit. And if we can raise our awareness of how change happens in our lives, then we can save ourselves some pain and hardship and cooperate. So before we get to this, let me just warn you of a couple of things. This list that I'm going to give you, this is not an ordered 
list of steps. This is not uh, this is not a process. This is not a well. Okay, now if you do part one, then you go straight to part two, and you've got to get part two done before you can move on to part three. It's not that kind of thing. So this is not an ordered list, and it's not an exhaustive list either. Because I'm giving you four, but change can happen in our lives in more ways than just these four. These are just demonstrations of how change happened in Jacob's life and how it can happen in ours and how we can capitalize on that if we will pay attention, be discerning. Plus, they all start with the letter C, so you know it's spiritual, right, if they all start with the same letter. So here we go. Number one, change. That's the first time somebody smiled at me tonight. Number one, change happens through crisis. Change happens through crisis. I know we don't really appreciate what Rahm Emanuel meant whenever he said never waste a crisis, but what he said is true because whenever people are in crisis, they are more apt to change, more open to change. Things shift. Now, I don't have time tonight to go through all of Jacob's story, but in Genesis 32, where we're going to be pulling these scriptures from, Jacob is on his way to meet with his estranged brother Esau. They had not parted on the best of terms years before whenever Jacob stole a blessing from Abraham that was intended for Esau. And so Jacob had been living apart from his family, away from his brother for many years. And now he's on his way to meet his estranged brother. And, and he's anxious and he's worried about what might happen when he and Esau meet up. So Jacob sent everyone else on ahead. Wives on ahead, children on ahead, servants on ahead, all of the livestock on ahead. And he stayed behind alone. And in the middle of the night, while he's by himself, he wrestles with the angel of the Lord. And in that encounter, something changes for Jacob. God changed Jacob's name, which means deceiver or supplanter. Changed his name from Jacob to Israel, which means prince of God or one who has power with God. And God did it in the nighttime in the middle of a crisis. Realizing that he had to go home and face the wrath of this brother that he had mistreated, Jacob got desperate. And Scripture says that in the nighttime he wrestled with the angel of the Lord. This change did not come easily, and it did not come quickly because we're told that he wrestled with the angel until daybreak. But suddenly it dawned on Jacob that he was wrestling with God, and it was a fight that he couldn't win. You know, sometimes God will let you wrestle with an issue. He will let you wrestle with something that you cannot resolve on your own. And I'm sure he has a lot of reasons, but in my life a lot of times it's just been to get my attention. He'll bring you to a place where you just finally have to concede. God, I, I, can't, I can't handle this. I, this is too big for me. I need help. And you're the only one who can help. And if that's where you are tonight, I just want to encourage you. You need to realize if that's where you are, you are on the cusp of a breakthrough. You are on the verge of a change. Change is, is right there. But if that's where you are tonight, and you're asking God to make you comfortable in the middle of your mess, you can forget it. <laughs> you can forget it. 
It's not going to happen. Deuteronomy chapter 32, speaking of how God deals with his people, it says, as an eagle stirs up its nest, so the Lord alone let him, being Jacob's children. As the eagle stirs up its nest. You know, a mother eagle will upend her nest and will literally push her brood out of the nest and over a cliff to teach them how to fly. Can you imagine what they're thinking? This is my mother. She has been feeding me and taking care of me. What on earth is happening? It's, it's kind of like what some of us think about what God's doing in our lives. What are you doing? I have been in this place. I have been comfortable. You have been taking care of me. I can't believe you're doing this to me. Doing this to me. God will do that to you. He will use a crisis to get your attention, to move you out of a place of comfort and toward change. Now, Jason, that seems kind of cruel. That seems kind of cruel that God that God would do that. Really? Is it? Well, let, let me ask you this. Would you rather God let you continue on a painful or fruitless or destructive path? It seems more cruel to me to allow a person to sit in a place of comfort that ultimately limits their full potential than to allow momentary pain that unlocks who they're really designed to be. Which would you really prefer? See, God knows us. And he knows that sometimes we just won't change until the pain of our current situation surpasses our fear of change. Sometimes change happens through crisis. Another way change happens, though, it's through commitment. Everybody say commitment. Yeah, commitment. You know, when Jacob realized that he was wrestling with the angel of the Lord, he said, I will not let you go until you bless me. I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. I hope you packed a lunch because I'm going to be here a while. I'm not letting you go until you bless me. That's what it takes, y'all. Sometimes it just takes commitment. It takes grit. It takes perseverance. Jacob was committed and persistent. He stuck with it until he worked his way through it. And sometimes that's what change requires. You sticking with it until you work your way through it. You know, Jacob didn't like where he was any more than you like where you are right now, especially if you're dealing with change. It was frustrating, it was scary, it was discouraging, but he was totally committed to sticking with it until God turned it around for his good. You know, when God gets our attention, especially getting our attention through a crisis, he doesn't always solve it immediately. I don't know what your experience has been, but sometimes my situations tend to linger and certainly last a little bit longer than I would prefer. You know, Sometimes God just waits to see where our hearts really are. Are you in this for a long-term relationship with God 
that moves you toward who he wants you to be? Or is this a, a quick fix, just solve all of my problems type of relationship where I can feel free to ignore God whenever life is smooth sailing? Where, where's your heart? We're so conditioned to instant everything, instant food, instant internet access, instant success, that whenever we don't get an immediate answer to our prayer or a quick turnaround in our situation, we're like, okay, forget it, God, I'll take it, I'll handle it. You don't worry about it anymore, God, I'll, I'll just deal with it. The fact is, oh, this got to me. The fact is, you didn't become who you are in this moment overnight and chances are you won't completely be a, a new person overnight either sometimes God has to remove our weaknesses layer by layer there's a lot of research that tells us it takes anywhere from 21 days to six weeks of doing the same thing every day consistently before it becomes a habit a part of who we are. I want you to, to think about that in terms of developing any type of habit that you would want as a good Christian. Developing a habit of, of daily prayer or daily Bible reading or of giving and tithing. Or how about a, a developing a love your neighbor habit? Or developing a love your spouse habit? Or developing a control your tongue habit? Six weeks, 42 days. Over a thousand hours, and Satan and your flesh will fight you every step of the way. So what do you do? Quit? Because it's hard? Don't be a chump. Don't be a chump. Be committed. Be committed. The scripture in Isaiah says they that wait upon the Lord. They that wait, they those that stick it out. Y'all, I wish there was a really easy, feel-good answer to this part, but sometimes you just have to grind it out and be committed. And if you recognize a need for change, understand that it's going to take commitment. Number three, Change happens through crisis. Change happens through commitment. Help me, Jesus. Change happens through confession. Through confession. In Genesis 32, 27, the angel asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. When he identified himself as Jacob, I'm a deceiver. That's what he was saying. I... I'm a cheater, Jacob. It's confession. He was acknowledging his character flaws. You know, this is, admission is an important part of God's process for changing us because we never really change, especially whenever we're talking about character traits. We never really change until we honestly face and admit to our faults, our hang-ups, our problems, our issues, our weaknesses, our sins. If we want to manage change, at some point we need to say, Jesus, I have a problem, and I'm in a mess, and I can't fix it. 
I admit I made it. I own my part. This is who I am. This is what I've done. And whenever we do that, then God can go to work. Own your part. Confess. Y'all ever notice how easy it is to make excuses? Okay, one person. That's great. It's pretty easy for me. It's easy for me. It might not be easy for you, but I'm, I'm pretty, I've got advanced degrees in excuse making. I'm pretty good at it. We're experts at blaming others and saying things like, well, it's not my fault. It's not my fault. It's the environment I was brought up in. If you were raised the way I was raised, if you grew up in their house, if you had my parents, if you were married to her or if you were married to him, if you worked there, you'd know, you'd understand. I mean, I really tried, but my boss, man, she's a piece of work. My boss is wonderful, by the way. But why, why, do we, why do we act this way? Why do we talk this way? It's because it's hard, man. It's hard to admit to our own personal faults and, faults and failings. And sometimes it can be downright scary to admit the truth and ask for help. Why do we confess our faults to God? Why do, we, why do we do that? Is it to let God know what's going on? I don't think he needs the help. Pretty sure he knows exactly what's going on with me and what's going on with you. He already knows that. When we tell God that we've sinned or made a mistake or we've got a hang-up or have a need, it's not a surprise to him. He knew our problems all along. We confess to him because it's good and necessary for us. We confess to him because it's good and necessary for us. He wants us to say, you were right, God. You were right. I've got a problem. I blew it. It's humbling to admit our mistakes. But once we do, what happens is we invite God into our mess, and he gives us access to his power to help manage the change that we were incapable of making on our own. And at some point, we start to become that person we've always wanted to be whenever we are willing to own our part and confess. I know it's cliche. I hate Christian cliches. Can't stand them. Y'all give me a pass on this one. I know it's a cliche, but that doesn't mean it's not true. God loves you the way you are. Y'all can finish it for me. But he loves you too much to leave you that way. 1 John 1.9 says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. It starts with confession. Change comes through crisis, comes through commitment, comes through confession. Let me give you one more C. Change happens through cooperation. Genesis 32 and 30 says that Jacob called the place Peniel, saying it is because I saw God face to face, face to face. I saw God face to face. God started changing Jacob the moment that Jacob admitted who he was and began to cooperate with God's plan. Jacob named that place where he wrestled with the angel Peniel, meaning the face of God. You know what, y'all? Each of us must eventually come face-to-face with God. We've got to have a one-on-one meeting with Him that is intimate, personal, and goes to the core. And when we do that, 
change happens. I can't explain this point. It's something that God does. But in essence, God told Jacob, now, <laughs> with, with confession and you being face to face, now we can get down to business. Cooperate with me, Jacob. Trust me. I'm going to make the changes you need, and I'm going to bless you at the same time. Cooperate with me. Notice God didn't say, this is such a relief to me. God didn't say, all right, Jacob, you done good. Now I want you to try real hard and use all of your willpower to become perfect. God didn't say that. That doesn't work for us, and God knows it. Yes, willpower plays a role, but willpower by itself does not bring lasting change in our lives. We need a changed heart and the power of God. You need a blood-washed heart and the Holy Ghost living inside of you for lasting change. That's what God works on. He told Jacob, your name's not going to be Jacob anymore. Your name's going to be Israel. Jacob would never be the same after that moment. Once you have that face-to-face -face personal encounter with the living God, something changes. And he changed Jacob from a cheater and a deceiver into a prince. I love that because God saw his potential. He looked beyond that tough exterior of a guy who portrayed himself as being hardened and world-wise. And he saw Jacob's identity. Yes, he saw his strengths. He also saw his weaknesses. Yes, he saw his faults and hang-ups. He saw his abilities and skills too. God saw all of Jacob's potential, but most importantly, he saw beneath the surface. He said, that's not the real you, Jacob. I know you're wearing the name of cheater and deceiver, but that's not the real you. You're not just that. You're actually an Israel. You're a prince. And the same goes for each of us. Listen to me tonight. There's more to you than your hang-ups. There's more to you than your problems. There's more to you than your mistakes. There's more to you than that. And God sees it. Philippians 1 and 6, Paul said, He who began a good work in you will carry it out to completion until the day of Christ. I want to encourage somebody tonight. Cooperate with what he's doing. Let him change you into who he has designed you to be. I got to touch on this. We're nearing the end, but along with cooperation with God, I've got to tell you, along with cooperation with God also comes the role, or also comes accepting the role of his community in managing change. None of us, not a single one of us, are a complete package. Otherwise, Paul would not have spent so much time describing the church, the community, the gathering as a body. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul spends almost 20 verses talking about how we are members of a body. Some of you are an eye, some of you are a hand, some of you are a foot. But we are members of a body and therefore dependent on each other. No man an island unto himself, right? You're not equipped. You are not equipped. 
to manage every change on your own. God put you in a community for a reason. God put you in this community for a reason. So cooperate with it. Open the door to feedback. There's someone in your circle that you can trust. Cooperation includes God's community, his people, his body, and your body. So let's wrap up. Genesis 32, 31 says, The sun rose above Jacob as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. The angel had touched the sinew in his thigh, and he now had a limp. That's significant. You know, the thigh muscle is one of the strongest muscles in the human body. And God touched Jacob at his point of strength. Once we start thinking, you know what, this, this is kind of my area. This, this is what I'm really good at. I'm a, this is where I'm really strong. Sometimes God may has, have to touch that to move us toward change. Jacob's limp served as a lifelong reminder that his real source was God and not his own strength. And that he was no longer to live in his own strength, but to live in God's strength. And in doing so, he became a much stronger person. Y'all think about this with me. Throughout his life, Jacob had a track record that every time he got into a mess, every time he got into a tight spot, his first response was to turn tail and run. Study his life. See how many times it happened. Does that sound like a familiar pattern to you? Is that you? Is that what you do? So God finally said, you know what, Jacob? I see you. You're really good at running. I know exactly how to take care of that. I'll just put a little limp in your walk. And for the rest of his life, Jacob would have to stand and face his problems head on, face to face, not in his own strength, but in God's strength. How about you? That's Jacob's example. But let's make this personal and bring it home tonight. As you sit here tonight listening to me talk about managing change, what's the one thing that you'd most like to change in your life? What's the one thing that you'd most like to change about your life? Do you want God to help you? I sure do. I've got a long list of things, not just one. But I sure do want his help. I want God to help me. Well, you know what? He has said that he will. He will help us in his way. He will use crisis. He will rely on our commitment. He will look for our confession. And it will need our cooperation. But it will move us toward the change that makes us into who he made us to be. Change is happening. Change is happening. God said, enlarge, strengthen, make room, get ready. The future is bigger than what you have the capacity to handle 
right now. So there's going to be some momentary discomfort as you get ready for what I'm bringing toward you. Change is happening, y'all. And most of the time, most of the time we have some ability to manage it. The question is, will you? Let's pray. Lord, there are so many changes taking place in our world today. There are changes taking place in our families, in our relationships, in our jobs. Global changes, things that we so often feel absolutely powerless to do anything about. There are things, though, that, that you are doing in us that we definitely have some ability, some opportunity to manage. I pray, Lord, that you would give us wisdom. Give us wisdom like David's. Give us wisdom to see where the changes need to take place. Give us the heart to be able to say that this is what needs to happen. And give us wisdom as well, Lord, to, to know when and how to do it. Lord, if, if any of us are going through crisis tonight and you're trying to get our attention, I pray that you would open our eyes and help us to see what it is that you're doing. Lord, that maybe there's commitments that we need to stick to, things that we've been questioning, putting aside, maybe, maybe taking a step back for a little while or just quitting altogether. Lord, but you're looking for commitment that will move us toward the change that we need. Lord, maybe we just need to cooperate with you. Maybe we need to, to get close to you and, and ask you to to work with us and help us to work with you and what you're doing. Lord, maybe we just need to confess some things and get down into the deep parts of our hearts and say, this is where I need you most. God, whatever it is you're doing and however you want to do it, I want to be a part of what it is that you're doing in my life and the lives of the people around me. And I want to be a part of what it is that you're doing here at Grace Church. Lord, help us all. And help me especially to manage change. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you tonight, Grace Church. I hope you have a wonderful evening, a wonderful rest of your week. And we will see you again on Sunday morning.